Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. So Kyle started this off, uh, well, last week. Um, we're talking about the lies of the enemy. And um, Robert asked me if I had an interesting title. And I said, uh, Lies of the Enemy Part 2. Um, so let's revisit this passage uh, that Kyle gave us from John 8.44. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's explaining to them why they're not able to understand or receive his message. And he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the reason they couldn't understand Jesus is they were from a different family. They were from a different father, the father of lies. Jesus wasn't talking about uh, like a metaphorical concept. He wasn't talking about some mythological anthropomorphism. He's talking about a spiritual being, a fallen angel. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Satan were to speak honestly, which, of course, he can't because there is no truth in him, he would say, I am the darkness, the lie, and the death. So he is the antithesis of everything that Jesus is and stands for. So one of the first things when we're talking about the lies of the enemy that we need to be very clear about is we do have a spiritual enemy. He's real, he's evil, he's actively opposing your desire to know and follow God. There's a great line in the, in the movie, The Usual Suspects. Um, Kevin Spacey's character is trying to explain um, this mysterious criminal mastermind called Kaiser Soze. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie. But he makes this statement. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. Imagine having an enemy who's plotting against you, planning to deceive you, constantly placing obstacles in your path, um, but you don't believe he exists. Um, that would give him a great advantage, right? And that's the case with a lot of uh, people is they... They don't understand that they, they have an enemy and he's real. So Scripture refers to this enemy by a, a number of different names and uh, descriptions. Satan actually comes from a Hebrew word which means one who opposes, obstructs, or acts as an adversary. The enemy is not passive concerning you. He has no concept of ah, live and let live. No. He is actively opposing you. He is your adversary. 
Another word that you hear, uh, another name is the devil. That comes from a Greek word, um, diabolos, from which we get the word diabolical. And it literally means one who throws something across the path of another. So it's like uh, you're walking along and I take the podium and just dump it in front of you. I want to trip you up. And it's a, it's a great description because that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to throw things across your path and trip you up. And he's constantly trying to do that. In Revelation 12, there's a number of names like all together in one verse. 12.9, it says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent, he's called the serpent, called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Other names, uh, the evil one, uh, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, the deceiver, uh, Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, the adversary, and very often called the accuser. So having identified this enemy, how can we best detect his lies? And every lie of the enemy is at its root an accusation against the Word of God, the character of God, and his intentions toward us. Say that again. Every lie of the enemy is at its root an accusation against the Word of God, the character of God, and His intentions toward us. So there's countless uh, varieties and versions of lies which the enemy is generating, um, many especially tailored toward your particular weaknesses and vulnerabilities. But at the core of all of these is this accusation against the goodness of God and his kind and loving intentions towards us. If you understand this, it will help you to identify those lies when they come. And there's a very good example of this accusatory nature of Satan's lies in the very first lie that was ever recorded. And that we can find in uh, Genesis. And uh, it's worth like spending uh, a few minutes looking at this. So if you want to turn to Genesis 3... And starting in verse 4, it says, You will surely not die, the serpent told her, Eve. For God knows that in in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the enemy is trying to get Eve to do is exchange the truth that God's given her for a lie. So there's always an exchange that takes place. The enemy wants to displace from your heart and mind the truth that God has put there and exchange that for a lie. If we go back to verse 1 and see how this whole thing uh, unfolds, uh, I'll, I'll read from, uh, directly from the text. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the first thing Satan is going to do when he comes to you is he's going to feel you out. He's going to see like, 
uh, do, do you really understand what God has said? You know? So his, he's always going to ask this question, did God really say that? Did, did God really mean that? He's going to test you. He's going to see if you, you understand God's word. So in verse 2, the woman answers the serpent and says, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. Now Eve is at an immediate disadvantage here. Because she doesn't understand God's word. God never said, don't touch it. Ever. She, she added that. So th the enemy picks up on those things. When he sees that we have a misunderstanding of God's word, he'll take advantage of that. He'll press in on that. If we, if we go back, in fact, and look... At Genesis 2, let's, let's, let's look at exactly what God said. And the Lord God commanded him, Adam, you may eat freely from every tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Nothing at all about touching it. So you need to understand God's word. And when you're under attack by the lies of the enemy, if you respond with your thoughts and opinions, you're going to lose. If you come back at him with some kind of natural philosophy or wisdom, you're going to lose. If your reply to a lie from Satan is, well, you know, I was reading on Twitter, you're going to lose. The enemy will most likely say, wonderful, I love Twitter, let's work with that, you know. Every lie has to be countered with what God has spoken, his word. So the lie in verse 4 is, you will not surely die. And the accusation against God that's inherent in the lie is in verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So without going into the significance of the knowing good and evil, I'll just summarize the accusation that you find in these kind of lies. The enemy is saying, here is something good, but God is deceitfully hiding it from you. He's selfishly keeping it from you, and yet it's something good for you. You want this. You need this. So it's, a, it's an accusation against God's intentions toward us. God is not trying to keep us from something good. He is always trying to do that which causes us to flourish. He's always acting in our best interests. Um, but the enemy will lie to you about that. He'll say that God is keeping you from something good. So it goes on in verse uh, 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing for the eyes, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took the fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. Looks like it might be tasty is something that often catches us. 
And uh, I'm not sure from the story if Adam was actually with her when this whole exchange is taking place. It's not really clear. Um, It says he was with her, but it's not not clear whether he was with her during the encounter uh, with the serpent or he was with her at the time she ate of the fruit. If he was with her during the exchange, I have a lot of questions for Adam. Like, uh, why are you letting your wife talk to snakes would be one. Um, anyway, and then after a God confronts him, we, we also see like the very first uh, instance of um, finger pointing and blame shifting. Adam says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know, God, if you hadn't given me this woman, things would have been different. And then Eve turns around and blames the serpent. She goes, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So you can see in that exchange uh, one of the schemes of the enemy, and that is to call into question, first of all, to test you and see if you really understand what God has said. And uh, secondly, to call into question God's uh, character, his goodness, and his intentions toward you. So the battle that we fight, really, every day is in our minds. And there's a verse that says, referring back to this passage, Paul refers to it in Corinthians, I'm afraid as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The weapons that the enemy uses against us are lies. And his purpose is to lead us away from following Christ and his word. There's this war constantly being waged in your mind. Some warnings that Paul wrote to the church at uh, Colossae in the first century, just as relevant to America in the 21st century. Uh, Colossians 2.4. Put the next one up there. Yes. I tell you this, he's talking about this deception, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I'll tell you, you're going to hear a lot of fine-sounding arguments, particularly in uh, this day and age where those fine-sounding arguments are coming at you from every direction. And see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So every day you're assaulted by these things that really come from the world system. And the world system is controlled by Satan. Don't don't mistake that. The world system out there is controlled by Satan. I'll give you some, some verses to support that. In 1 John, it says, uh, 5.19, it says, We know that we are the children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And Jesus himself said, Now is the time for judgment. This is uh, John 12.31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And in the uh, confrontation between Christ and the devil in uh, the wilderness, the devil took him up 
and showed him all the nations of the world. And he said, I will give all these, all their authority and splendor, because they have been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And of course, Jesus responds with what? The Word, the Word of God. It says you should serve the Lord your God only. So we're struggling against powers that control this world system. You have three enemies. You have the world and the system of the world, the devil, and the flesh, your own temptations, your own desires and temptations. So everything, is, everything that, you, that comes against you is not from the devil. Um, some of it's from the world system, which is controlled by him, and some of them is, is just your internal desires. But if you're, uh, if you're not captivating your thoughts, if you're not bringing your thoughts in obedience to those of the Word of Christ, then you're probably being captivated by some other lie of the enemy. Your mind kind of is like a garden. Uh, I like to think of it that way. And, and you're the one who God has um, charged to tend at that garden. You're responsible for what comes into your mind. You're responsible for what you expose your mind and your heart to. Um, if you expose your heart and mind to evil things, it gives the enemy an opportunity. It gives him a, a foothold to, uh, into your heart and into your mind. You know, remember that time you were watching that thing on the Internet and there was something in the back of your mind that said, no, I wonder if I should be watching that. Yeah, that was the Holy Spirit. And 99.99% of the time, no, you shouldn't have been watching that. So be careful what you let into your heart and mind. 2 Corinthians, um, Paul says, though we live in the world, we're in the midst of this corrupt system, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you're going to hear a lot of fine-sounding arguments which seek to discredit Scripture, distort its meaning, or find a way around it. Um, resist those things. Paul says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So we're called as the church to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to expose darkness. And that's a challenge. Um, so we always have to be questioning ourselves. What is guiding us? Is it a love of God and, a, and faithfulness to his word? Or is it a fear of men? Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And uh, when the scripture says woe, you should pay attention. There should be some fear and trembling there. And in, in some cases, the church itself has become um, an advocate for lies of the enemy. It's not my purpose today to get into specific lies of the enemy. There's numerous ones. But I will, I will mention one. And that lie is the lie of homosexuality and lesbianism. And the lie is that somehow we should regard those behaviors as normal or acceptable or a viable alternative. In fact, the world has decided that June is a month where anyone who engages in those behaviors should actually be proud of them. But the Scripture teaches us these behaviors are prohibited by God. They're harmful to those engaged in them. They're sinful and ultimately they result, as does all sin, in the judgment and wrath of God. They're not behaviors that are a cause for pride and celebration, but for shame and repentance. That is the truth of God's Word. And yet from every place out there, you are hearing over and over, again and again, no, this is normal, normal behavior. It's not. Christ has called us to love sinners and pray for their repentance, but he has never instructed us to condone sin. We should never, as the church, condone the lies of the enemy. We should speak the truth of God's word. So in addition to big lies, you also face a lot of smaller lies, lies in your life. Um, one, there's two mistakes you can make with the devil. One is to pay too much attention to him. He has, been, he has been defeated. And the other is to pay too little attention to him. Back to the verse that I mentioned before, or the quote I mentioned before about him convincing the world he doesn't exist. So you can pay too little attention, but you can also become obsessed with uh, the battle and pay too much attention to him. He's been defeated. The good news is if you put your faith in Christ, then you have been removed from the dominion where Satan has any authority or power over you, that world system out there. God took you out of that system if you've put your faith in Christ, and he puts you in what the Scripture calls the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. That's the kingdom that you're a part of. The enemy can't touch you. He can't touch you. If he could, he would. If he could destroy you, if he could kill you, he would. He hates you. He hates you. He hates your Lord. He hates his word and everything it stands for. But he can't. He can't because we're not under his power anymore. God has taken you out of his power and placed you in the kingdom of the son that he loves. In uh, 2 Corinthians, or in Colossians 2.15, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Christ has defeated the enemy through his cross. And if you belong to Christ, the devil cannot do what he wills with you. I suppose to characterize how the devil feels toward you is spiteful vengeance. He can't do anything directly to you, but he can lie to you. He can make you miserable by lying to you. He can distract you from the purposes of God in your life by lying to you. He can make you ineffectual in sharing God's love and grace by lying to you. Lies are what he's got. That's what he's got with you. So the scripture says in uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in your faith. He will flee from you. You're not battling alone when you're battling against the lies of the enemy. You have the Word of God on your side. You also have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of truth that He sent to be in you, to dwell in you. We're told in Ephesians, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And those fiery darts, those flaming arrows, those are lies. They're lies that the enemy is hurling at your heart. And we're supposed to take up a shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God and his word. And then it also says we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We just were, uh, had an opportunity to be in uh, Italy and Spain and France. We went in a lot of these old cathedrals and they're just magnificent, beautiful inside, visually stunning. And I, I just was reminded, um, one of the reasons that they're like that is because the majority of people in those days were illiterate. They couldn't read. So the only way that they could have a sense of the majesty and glory of God was through these visually stunning edifices that were built. And occasionally they would have a good shepherd who would teach them from the Word because they could read it. And occasionally they had bad shepherds who would lead them astray for their own selfish purposes. But they were very visual. Um, that's what they had. You, on the other hand, I think, for the most part, can read. And you have a access to God's Word. Um, there's like 14 different translations right here you know, that I can carry with me everywhere and access <laughs> anytime I want. So I guess... What I want to encourage you in is store up the Word of God in your heart because when the lies come, when the evil day comes, um, you have to be ready to respond with God's Word. If you just have your own thoughts and opinions, you're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to do battle with the enemy. Um, I want to respond like Jesus did in the desert with God's Word when the enemy comes to lie to me. Pray with me. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to do battle with our adversary in every area of our life to stand up against his lies. Strengthen our arm that holds the shield of faith. 
strengthen our arm that wields the sword of the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to strike mighty blows in the furthering of your kingdom and your rule. In your Son's name we pray, amen.